This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use and provides general information only and does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs. BT Investment Talk by BT Investment Solutions is a monthly podcast produced exclusively for Australian financial advisors. Our investment experts, together with some of the world's leading fund managers, will provide thought leadership on a wide range of investment topics. Investment Talk is all about looking beyond the numbers, helping advisors cut through the noise, enabling them to have meaningful investment and portfolio construction conversations with their clients. Today, we're fortunate enough to be joined by the BTIS Income and Alternatives Portfolio Manager, Yu Zhou Chan. Um, Yu Zhou joined BTIS in 2017. Uh, and just for clarity, his main responsibilities within the team are the management of the underlying portfolios, and that includes both reviewing and ensuring our managers are operating with their um, uh, their mandate constraints. So hello, Yu Zhou, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for your time today. Good to be here, uh, Eric. Looking forward to our chat. Yes, definitely. Uh, there's so much going on. So just before we do jump in there, you, Joe, I just wanted to provide a quick summary for our listeners today around the agenda. Um, as I said earlier, there, there is so much happening in markets and it's, and it's changing on a daily basis, both locally and globally. Um, and given your mandate being, of course, the income and alternative space, what we hope to do today is have a quick look at the role and process around the broader sleeve within the portfolios and what sort of role they play. Um, look, we have to touch on what impact the current economic environment is having in your space, and then hopefully we'll dig a little bit deeper into some of the uh, unlisted infrastructure or property stuff. And um, given where rates and the inflation outlook are at the moment, I, I think we need to probably get an understanding of where to from here for our portfolios. So that's going to be pretty much the uh, the agenda. How does that sound, you, Joe? Perfect. Thanks, Eric. I think that's a very good place to start. So no doubt many of you would be tired of hearing the inflation narrative and its impact on the global cash rates. Uh, up to this point, markets obviously remain fixated on the rate hiking cycle and looking for any signs of the relaxation of the aggressive rate hikes that we've seen to date. Unfortunately, the stickiness of lagging inflation measures has, post- has postponed the pause and elevated the peak rate notably. Um, the Fed policy's goal, obviously, is to pause at a restrictive rate and to allow inflation to fall. We believe this will continue to be the uh, will continue to be data-led at this point in time. What, but what does this mean for markets uh, ahead of us? So looking forward into 2022-23, we expect bond yields to trade with elevated levels of volatility until the inflation pressures abate. Now, rates have become a significant source of risk, both in fixed income, as managers navigate the active duration calls in response to monetary policy tightening, but also in equities where further hawkish rhetoric will continue to push prices lower. In addition to that, markets are acutely aware that an overly aggressive policy response from central banks can also have an unintended consequence. Already, we're already seeing global growth being downshifted with GDP measures showing signs of weakening. At this point, our view is that we are probably closer to the end of the rate hiking cycle. However, our preference is to remain patient and to be conservative and to ensure that our portfolios remain liquid. We believe there will be ample opportunities when the dust settles to deploy meaningfully into risk. Oh, good. Thanks, you, Joe. It's glad to see towards the back end of your uh, comments there that seems to be some positivity, hopefully down the track. But as we've already mentioned today, that there is so much going on. Um, and the word unprecedented has been used given 
sort of some of the dynamics we're seeing, whether they be sort of geopolitical, rates or inflation-based, and um, sort of the valuation of both listed and unlisted assets. Um, but before we do get into some of the detail, and I know you love the detail, which is great for us, of course, um, can you give us maybe just a high-level outline of what role sort of the income and alternative sleeve plays in our portfolios um, and how it might have changed in recent times given sort of what's happening? Sure, Eric. That's uh, that's a again. That's another very good question. Look, the income and alternative sleeve is relatively broad and encompasses a, a number of asset classes. So, notionally, traditional fixed income, private debt, infrastructure, and property. So, I think to answer your question, Eric, let's look at each of these individual sectors uh, one by one. So, firstly, fixed income. The notation of traditional fixed income obviously is to provide to provide a defensive ballast when risk underperforms. So bond yields are expected traditionally to contract when global outlook deteriorates, typically during a recession. And this generally leads to capital appreciation in long duration assets, which in turn helps cushion the impact of negative returns from your higher beta sectors. Across private debt, look, this area remains an attractive opportunity, particularly on a risk adjusted basis. It has become an established institutional asset class with a broad array of strategies on offer across a range of risk return profiles. And accordingly, we believe this will continue to play an important role in our portfolios. And, and lastly, infrastructure and property, returns for these asset class are typically stable and less volatile due to the stability of their cash flows and low correlations between and among different asset categories, when, especially when compared to both bond and equity asset classes. We believe these characteristics should continue to hold true and therefore should be included in any well-diversified portfolio seeking to maximize risk, uh, sorry, minimize risk and maximize returns. Great. Yes. Thanks again, Yujo. Um, yeah, it has in recent times, we've seen, you know, the importance of, of, of your sleeve uh, given what's sort of happening around the globe and the way our, our clients and advisors use the portfolios. What I do want to do, Yujo, just at this point is maybe dig a little bit deeper, um, particularly given again, the unique circumstances of what's happening. Uh, and we saw last week with the inflation numbers coming out of the US and what impact that had on markets, you can see the markets sort of finally balanced and, and really um, keen to understand what's happening so they can build that into their, uh, their valuations, et cetera. Um, but there has been some conjecture around, you know, whether inflation will stay higher for longer. Um, it's been very challenging for fund managers to, to deal this to this, well, I guess I'll call it a correlation issue where both equities and bonds are sort of underperforming at the same time. So, you know, what has that meant for portfolios? But more importantly, I think, wh what, what does it mean for traditional bonds from here in terms of outlook and, and positioning? Um, that's a very good and valid question, Eric. I think the notional, the notion of traditional fixed income serving its purpose in diversified portfolios has been widely debated, particularly in the last one or two years, given that we've previously seen almost zero yields across many government bond sectors. So many investors question the efficacy of holding long bonds, especially when yields are likely to move higher off a zero base. And admittedly, this was a very valid concern in, in, the, in the last 12 months. And no doubt, bonds have posted a negative return as central banks now move to tighten monetary policy in response to inflationary pressures. So um, I think fortunately, with where bond yields are at this point in time, we believe they are now more fairly valued than compared to a couple of months ago or even a couple of quarters ago. And they definitely have more room 
and upside for appreciation should the growth outlook deteriorate. So how I will word it is at this point in time, the yield levels of bonds are much more palatable and in, in provide a much more defensive posture compared to where they were priced previously before. However, in the short term, I do want to caution that bond yields are continuing to expect to trade with elevated levels of volatility until we again we see some stability in, in inflation side. So it's it's a very tricky and and difficult period. But I think where bond markets are at present, it's likely to show greater divergence as we progress through you know through um, policy tightening across various regions. There are clear differences already emerging in terms of the path of policy normalization. So this will create additional and opportunity, sorry, create additional opportunities, particularly across cross-market yield spreads and, and um relative value trades. So making it a much rich, richer hunting ground for active bond strategies. Great you, Joe. Thanks for that. Uh, look, I'm I'm keen to delve a little bit deeper into what's happening with the infrastructure assets as well, if that's okay. There has been some conversation about sort of this disparity around valuations for listed versus, say, unlisted infrastructure. First of all, what sort of role and influence do those assets play in our portfolios and what is happening with valuations, in your opinion, um, particularly given, again, this sort of rate and inflation outlook? Oh, thanks, Eric. Look, I think it's worth mentioning the core characteristics of the uh, infrastructure asset class before I delve deeper into your question on valuation. I mean, if you think notionally, infrastructure assets tend to be long life assets, usually around with economic lives of over 30 years and in many cases, 50 or more. So it tends to be assets that serve essential roles in communities and industries and often have monopolistic characteristics. The asset class generally has very, very stable cash flows and is a sector that often benefits from inelastic demand or long-term contracts. So these assets tend to have high barriers to entry either because of capital intensive construction or government regulations. The long life nature and relative stable cash flows generations are characteristics that have made this asset class attractive to many investors. So from a portfolio standpoint, these assets can provide diversification from your traditional equity and bond asset classes, generating enhanced cash yields and inflation protection. Now, in that context, when you have peak inflation numbers that we've seen today, this sector has embedded mechanisms to ensure that inflation pressures are passed through so as not to dilute investor returns. So for example, regulated assets, these are automatically adjusted for inflation through the regulatory construct, which allows key variables such as rising costs of debt to be captured to ensure that the return on equity remains constant. They tend to be less sensitive to both dips and peaks in the economic cycle, making them more defensive and well-positioned for a slowing economy. On the demand-driven side, it's also not uncommon for many GDP-sensitive assets to pass on rising inflationary costs to consumers. Often, these are, again, assets such as toll roads, airports, and seaports. Revenues typically tend to be based on volume and users, and therefore can at times be sensitive to economic activity, but from a pricing perspective, these revenues tend to be hedged against inflation given the pass-through mechanisms. So, so based on data from one of our underlying managers, we estimate that roughly about 70% of the assets in the fund that invest in these sectors have the ability to pass on inflation true to the end consumer and therefore insulating investors from the impact of rising inflation. And finally, to, to answer your question around valuations, um, so far we've seen infrastructure assets remain relatively stable year to date. 
Uh, and now this may be counterintuitive for many, given that rising cash rates typically accompanies inflation and is also associated with higher discount rates and subsequently lower valuations. However, what we have seen over recent periods is that valuations have remained static uh, and in some cases even move higher. And this is largely due to our managers using discount rates, which look true to cycle. In simple firms, when cash rates were low, managers held discount rates constant at between four and five. So as even as cash rates now move higher from today, there is little need to revise the discount rates upwards. Mm. Hopefully that gives you some sense on the, the valuation considerations. No, that's great, UJ. Thank you very, very thorough. Uh, I'm going to stop you there. Thank you very much again. That's all we have time for today. Um, we, we really appreciate your insights. Again, it's great to see the sort of the continued evolution of our advanced strategies and the BTIS strategies as as we um, and and all the work, of course, the team's doing in, in in your sleeve, being the income and alternative space. So, thank you again for your time, and to all those listening, thank you again. If you would like some more information on our solutions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your respective state manager, or alternatively, you can uh, head to our website, being bt.com.au/bti.s. Thank you again. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, everyone.